0: Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is In Reverence episode number 15. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. In Reverence is a small subset, another subset of the podcast Under the Stairs. And unlike other parts of our glorious Umbrella podcast, In Reverence is spent more doing what it says in the title, revering horror titles, which influence, change, and shape my love of horror through the years. This particular run of shows is set for the movies that I hold near and dear to my heart. The movies that really do influence the way I consume film um, and in a lot of respects how I review movies for the podcast. Over time, your tastes change. You start off either a gore whore, or someone that really is looking for the thrills and excitements of being scared shitless. And over time, you find certain little caveats, little niches you can move into to start to appreciate different facets of what horror cinema is putting out. And In In Reverence is taking you through that journey with me. Now, we've covered some awesome titles on In Reverence thus far, some heavy, heavy hitters, and last October, off the back of going to see the original john carpenter's halloween in the cinema for like the seventh sim- time or something um i did an in reverence on that because it's a great fucking movie and it deserves to be heralded and i pointed out as the as a seminal piece of horror cinema that really did shape quite a lot of my interest in slashers just across the board but also kind of put John Carpenter on the map in terms of my knowledge, his voice etc in my lexicon and this October marks another highlight for me because I recently for my birthday which was a couple of weeks ago got that 4K restoration of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980 and I watched it last night and through the watching it just dawned on me more and more that what i really wanted to do was talk about the movie itself but how important a bit of cinema it was in shaping not only my love of horror cinema but how it really changed how i look at movies as a medium and the importance that they have so that's what we're going to be doing on this episode we're going to shine in a spotlight on my experiences with arguably one of the greatest horror movies ever Fucking made. I joke about it quite a lot but on any given day if you ask me what my favourite horror movie is you will either get John Carpenter's The Thing or Stanley Kubrick's The Shining as my reply. It's always between those two, always will be between those two, the top of the pile. So it feels fitting that we get around to it. You never know. Next October maybe we sit down and we do a bit of time with The Thing. I don't know. It might happen. Might not happen. I never make promises because you make promises. They never happen. And then people remember that's the problem with doing podcasts. There's an audio archive of me saying, Oh, I'm going to do that, and it never happens. So I try not to, but you never know. It might happen. It might happen. But it is shining time, ladies and gents. Now, there is so much happening under the stairs at the moment. It's difficult to keep track of, to be honest with you. Um, We are actually putting out less than we did last October, unless than we put out last september so the month before this but for some reason the numbers are still just going crazy i want to put down to the baz and uh, all the love we've been getting for Ween it's return for 2019 we have another one of those episodes looking at the last house on the left coming up on monday so strap yourself in for that one that one is a ball of fun like you have no idea he's on so much fine form during this series and uh, i think he really hits his fucking stride on the next episode so you'll hear it so we have that coming in between now and then though we will have a arrow assortment looking at the guyver which is the next one on that random selection and maybe another episode in between. I really don't know as it stands just now. I've watched quite a few movies out with my 31 of October that I kind of want to swing in to little reviews. Plus, you'll have another update when we pass the 20-day mark for the 31 of October as well. So, yeah, loads and loads of content. This intro has went a little bit longer than I expected, so I think I should shut up and allow some free air to play some promos for shows that I love and then listen to the trailer for one of the greatest movies ever fucking made. This is, of course, the trailer for Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. I will be right back to discuss that movie right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a light-hearted look at three of their movies? Meet fearless podcaster, Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep-fried... But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies i don't suppose they uh, told you anything in denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970 i hired a man named charles grady is the winter caretaker so from what i've been told i mean he seemed like a completely normal individual but at some point during the winter he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown he ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. well You can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Mom, do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only (laughs) thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is a tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. I did, uh, I killed you with Danny. You do it, did this to didn't you? I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains. Here's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back. So ladies and gents you just heard the trailer for this in reverence, episode number 15. We are discussing The Shining from 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, based on the novel by Stephen King, screenplay adapted by Stanley Kubrick. The movie stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, Scatman Carruthers and there are a series of other small roles in here as well. We're not really going to delve into them to be fair, kind of want to stick to what we know and what we want to discuss which is a small group of actors delivering fucking incredible performances on a level which you just don't see, you just don't see. Um, So, Synopsis is listed on IMDb for this movie is a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences father into violence where his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. So yeah, the poster for this movie infamously says a masterpiece of modern horror and I think never has a tagline on a poster um, being so apt in cinema. The first time I saw The Shining was in the late 80s and this movie absolutely fucking terrified me. I mean terrified me to the point of, was it the goriest thing I'd ever seen? No, absolutely not. By that point I'd already seen movies in the Friday the 13th franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I'd seen that first movie where someone got tore up from inside a bed and blood was going absolutely everywhere. So it wasn't like that. Was it the scariest movie I'd seen in terms of actual full-blown terror? No, no it wasn't either. By this point I'd already seen things like Poltergeist, I'd seen things like Salem's Lot, I'd watched, I would be on the cusp actually very, very quickly in succession after watching The Shine In, I would watch things like The Thing for the first time, a movie that, you know, did have all those impacts on me of, like, giving me proper terror on the screen and making me feel really weird and creeped out. And, but I'd seen some some movies involving ghosts as well. I'd seen The Changeling, for example. So, I mean, it wasn't the scariest movie in terms of haunting. What well, The Shining was for me was an exercise in madness, something as a kid you just can't really equate. Like, See when you're like nine, that the idea of isolation, depression, insanity is not anything that your little brain can comprehend. These are the, the, the diseases, so to speak, of more mature minds, of, of kind of more worldly experience. So the fact that I saw, as a kid, this family, this wholesome slice of Americana, you know, father, mother and a son, uh, going to spend some time up in them there hills um, looking after a hotel, it kind of grabbed my attention. Now, I had seen The Shining before I would read The Shining and I think I actually want to say that on a recording we did at the time that we first covered The Shining many moons ago, that my recollection was the other way around, but through conversations with my mum, uh, since then we've found that yes, I had seen the movie before reading the book. I read the book when I was about 13, and the book is amazing. I really do love the book. Uh, there was one but I never loved wholly about the book and it was the very end I, I was never a fan of how the book ends the idea of the and there's going to be a lot of spoilers so please be warned and as always that thing that I throw at right at the start of the episode where I say you know the show contains spoilers um, if you're sticking on with it the onus is on you You've consented to listen to spoilers, so congratulations. Here it goes. The book, you know, ends with the the boiler room essentially overheating because Jack has not been doing what Jack is supposed to do, and as a result, it burns down, killing Jack. Uh, the movie ends completely different, um, and I would argue infinitely better. Although there are a lot of King purists out there that will disagree with me. Um, I'm sorry, that is just my opinion. That's what all I can offer in the medium of podcasts is my opinion on cinema. So, yeah, I I much prefer the way the the movie finishes. But, so yeah, I had seen the movie maybe two, three years before reading the book, which would make sense because I remember picking up this giant book because The Shining isn't a small book, I mean it's not a big book in terms of what King can do, but it's not a small book for a 13 year old. I remember lifting this book up and really kind of voraciously battling through it, turning pages as fast as I could to get through the book and I was trying to think there's no reason I would have done that had I not got some idea of what or the importance, more the importance of something like The Shining, so that makes sense. In hindsight, my mum giving me a bit of context makes sense and the fact that she told me that, yeah, you, you, this movie really got under your skin also makes sense. Um, and when I think about my viewings of The Shining as a kid, I always come back to this idea of I didn't fully understand what was going on with Jack. And I think... That's where the novel wins out. The novel gives a good bit of detail about this troubled alcoholic who has this furious temper uh, and an insatiable thirst for alcohol and will fly off the handle and as a result of this has doomed his family, his kind of well-to-do wife and um, psychic child <laughs> uh, to like basically have to jump from place to place. ...ultimately ended up in this this hotel... ...which he will become caretaker of... ...for a winter period... ...in order for him to write his book... ...and it just so happens that they end up at... ...what I would call... ...Ground Zero... ...Haunted AF Hotel... ...so... ...my brain couldn't quite grasp... ...why Jack... ...it's something that's thrown out quite a lot... ...is uh, the book... ...you're eased into... ...Jack Torrance's madness... ...in the film... He is kind of edgy right from the start. And I used to always kind of be a person that kind of thought with context, yeah, that's where the kind of book wins out. Actually, the older I get, the more I feel I kind of love the way the film deals with it. As if you're ever really going to bat against Kubrick. Some people are... You can see there's a thin veil holding back anger. I've worked with people in the past. You catch me on the wrong day, I am one word away from telling you to fuck off to your face. You know what I mean? As someone that genuinely gets a lot of people talking about how cheery my disposition is, there are days where I am a ball here away from telling you to go fuck yourself. So it's worth taking that into account that a guy with Jack's past, which is hinted at in here, they talk about it through different, kind of conversations, especially in the extended cup when you get a bit more of it, is this guy who, this is like maybe his last chance here, he's trying to hold everything together, he's the breadwinner, He's, he's carrying guilt and, you know, sobriety, like giant weights round his neck. And he's desperately trying to make sure that all these pieces stay together for as long as they can in order for him to provide for his family. So over time, my opinion has changed. Specifically on the way Kubrick and Jack Nicholson portray Jack Torrance right from the off, unhinged. I kind of like that. I kind of like this idea that this guy's going in for an interview and he's nervously laughing and uncomfortably moving himself around in a chair because he understands that this is kind of the last, (laughs) the last kind of chance, even down to the fact that he gets the the terrible story about the Grady family and what happens and he kind of just brushes it off because he's a desperate man trying to get some work and trying to get the pieces together. He's also an incredibly selfish man and I think, I mean I'm not breaking new ground here, I think Jack Nicholson is nothing short of absolutely phenomenal in The Shining I mean this guy goes through weird scopes of emotion where he is terrified aggressive confused and insincere in a way which you just don't see on screen there's a great playful scene with him uh, with his his bartender his favourite bartender Lloyd and um, as he's ordering from him he talks about what happened in the past with the accident with his son and you can see the playful expression, almost as if he imagines he's in a room full of people and he's kind of looking over and I suppose I can tell just the the way a kid would tell a story or tell a lie or come forth with the truth when pushed on something, I think it's it's, it's a, a, a credible tour de force and one that really makes this movie, arguably, like I said before, one of the greatest horror movies ever made so yeah, like as a kid, though, I couldn't really understand what happened to him and you know, the Overlook. I couldn't understand the psychosis. I couldn't understand the idea of what cabin fever is, which is something, to be honest with you, it's probably a bit more prominent out in America than it is necessarily in Scotland. I imagine it probably does happen in Scotland, but it doesn't happen anywhere near where I lived, or have lived, this idea of extreme isolation and... um the the, the kind of psychosis, the triggering that goes with it. I never, weirdly enough, weirdly, I never as a kid totally sympathised with Danny as a character and over time I appreciate a lot more of what that character is there to do. His vulnerability, uh, his special gift, And specifically, once again, through the book, which is far more articulate just because it has more time to do it, this idea of what the shining actually is and this idea that the hotel is trying to feed off of it. There are so many great scenes in the movie and this is at a time before we were discussing things in 237 uh, where we were talking about, you know, not only the makeup of how strangely constructed the... The kind of blueprint of The Overlook is how Kubrick deliberately makes things disjointed in order to fuck with our mind, because he is the master of kind of cerebral cinema, uh, of a co-clinical nature of making films that will imprint on your brain in such a way that days later you're still kind of trying to work out why something made you feel uneasy and you're not quite sure why. So, I mean, I think, when when I think about specifically like the ideas of what they do with the Danny character, I think that works really well. I actually always, as a kid, weirdly, and I don't know if it's single parent household and very protective of my mother, I don't know but I always sympathise the most with Wendy who was someone who I sympathise less with now actually as an adult, um, but someone who is just she probably at one time thought she was marrying the most charming guy in the world and just through the luck of the draw has married just a complete arsehole of a man who will belittle her and speak down to her in such a horrible way. The way that Jack Nicholson delivers some of the lines in this movie. Um, You know, I just... It, it, it floors me the vicious nature and when you do a bit of delving behind the scenes and realise that Kubrick shot sometimes he would spend a whole day or several days just shooting one scene and Shelley Duvall had to be in this constant state of kind of hysterical despair and it's no wonder she was broken as an actress he broke her during the making of this movie and I always felt like you know, like, one of the kind of kind of high-five moments is when she fucking nails him with that baseball bat and you're like, finally, finally, you know, this character's standing up for herself and, and, and protecting her son and all the rest. But, yeah, whole sections of, of, of this movie as a kid, I just took it on face value that, you know, she's married to this abusive drunk and he's horrible and all the rest. And like, over time, you realise as an adult how complicated the world is. And how people, not that I'm excusing Jack Torrance just want to stress that right now. Vicious evil man. But the complex nature of what makes up a human being, how we handle stress, how we handle the environment we live in, how we handle family duty as well. Some people are just not cut out to be parents. And I think what's interesting about the dynamic of the Torrences is, is Shelley Duvall is clearly meant to be a mother. She is this kind, well-mannered, even-tempered, nurturing force in the movie. And she's juxtaposed with Jack. He's self-centred, egotistical um, psychotic alcoholic a guy who throughout this movie very rarely if any hands out a compliment or an expression of love to someone else which isn't veiled under the guise of look at what he's doing and look at the way that he has done it it's never for like a a benevolent reason it's always this kind of he's been put upon to love someone I think that's that's quite telling and once again it shines through in the performances. The reason The Shining really terrified me as a kid, because like I said before this is not a movie with boo scares or this is not a movie where it's the grossest thing that you've seen on the screen. The reason this movie terrified me was I as a kid was aware that this was a man trying to kill his family, and that, without context of, you know, the the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground, or, you know, the the hotel's power, trying to get the power of the shining, you know, as portrayed in the book, fundamentally, at this core, there was a quote-unquote loving father trying to murder his family in an isolated area, and that terrified me. This father trying to kill his wife and his child terrified me and the way he kept coming after them relentlessly right to the very end, even at the cost of his own life, is something that sticks with you. Obviously things like red rum, you know, are scenes that, as a kid. You just, you don't know, you don't fully understand why everything is so intense and then you lean back as an adult and realise that 50% of the effectiveness of the shining is the score. It's the score. The score is tremendous and it's intense. It's like that first time you sit down and watch the and you are sitting there going, why is the person so batshit crazy? All she's doing is walking through an airport. This intense fucking build-up of drums and all the rest. It's the same in The Shining. There are sections here, specifically when Jack is going on his crazy, crazy spell, where we have tribal drums and you know like this intense nature, um, kind of violent movement to the camera which for the most part is the steady cam movement that Kubrick would become famous for, would put on the map, would become far more jarring, would become far more like intense, the movement's more aggressive and all these things that you can't really critique as a kid because you don't know it. Films, what I love about watching films as a kid, and it's one of the reasons my Netflix grades are the way I deal with things, is I think so much of how we feel about cinema is a feeling. You know, the critique can come later, but at the end of a movie you know whether or not you liked something. Just gutturally you know whether or not you liked something. You can then take some time and break down why you liked or didn't like something, but... Usually you go with your gut and that's why sometimes a technical grade to me is less impactful than I love this movie. It's fucking stupid, it's poorly acted and it's poorly made but I love this movie. I've said that many times about PCs and I lean into it every single time. It's a bad movie but by God do I love it. Equally, though, there are movies that I'm like, I don't really like this movie. I can appreciate what it well, it does, though. Great acting, great cinematography. The script maybe doesn't work for me. But, you know, I can appreciate those aspects as well. The Shining, to me, relies so much on its score that you, as a kid, can't equate it. And the older you get, you're like, the reason I'm feeling unnerved right now is because, listen to the background, you fling on top of that incredible performances and then... Kubrick's Eye for Detail and Cinematography, and you're on to a winner. The creepy old woman coming out of the bath. <laughs> Once again, as a kid, as a nine-year-old, you don't really know how to digest like a full, fully naked woman's body, especially if you're in a room watching it with your parents. Not good. Not good. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's cringy. Um, but the idea that that would morph into this kind of horrible, like, decomposing, waterlogged body I think is, is is a scene that still holds up. The idea of the two twin girls Hello Danny come and play with her, you know just terrifying. Um, I noticed recently online that people were talking about with the new cut, uh, the fact you get to see the twins earlier on in the movie and I think it was Dave Z, good buddy of the show. Dave Z had said that it would, you know, that's his recollection, almost every version he's seen of this. And I'm the same as Dave Z, but I think that's because the British Cut always contained that part. It was always in there. So I found that quite interesting. I think on top of that though, eh, not only the flash sequences of their death, but the story behind that. And then the inaccuracies and in the way it's constructed. I mean, Kubrick is known for being like the piece de resistance of of clinical filmmaking. If there is, by some chance, a cobweb in the top corner of a room, it's because Kubrick wanted a cobweb in the top corner of that room. That's how clinical he was when he made his films. Everything has a meaning. That's the reason that when you watch Room 237, there are so many... Different interpretations, and granted that documentary relies on its understanding that people are bringing their own baggage to the shining and taking away from their viewing of that movie, what they have brought to it, but I think there's a lot in there about specific choices for the placement of certain posters, certain ornaments. Do I think he faked the moon landing? No, I don't, but I think they're in there for a reason, and I think that when you watch this movie as well. You get a very strong view of that Kubrick doesn't really make mistakes, which is why the Charles Grady, Delbert Grady scenario is something that I always kind of doubled in on. This idea of, well, Charles Grady was the caretaker. We hear the whole story at the beginning. He was the caretaker, he was up there with his family, things got a bit intense over the winter, and um, he murdered his. Kids and his wife with an axe stacked the bodies up neatly and blew his head open with a shotgun. a very powerful story here. Later on in the movie, we meet a what looks like a concierge or, or, or a waiter who's by the name of Delbert Grady. Now, Delbert can't be confused with Charles, um, but Delbert Grady... Uh, has that family he has twin girls and a wife that are there with him and has no knowledge or recollection of what he's done but the implication off the back of that conversation is that maybe Jack is the caretaker and maybe Jack has always been the caretaker which then swings back into this idea of is Jack a reincarnation so to speak or the new embodiment of who was Charles Greedy and if that's the case, that's a fascinating little quip. The fact it's never really been explained in a way to make sense is one of these things that I love that lingers over every and I have of The Shining. It's this idea will I pick something else out? Will I be able to find that narrow little nugget of information I've never picked up from before in the background that no know Kubrick's just put there just for me to find and take away from it? I don't know. Why is The Shining an irreverence? I mean, there's the obvious reasons. I think it's one of the best horror movies ever made. But I have a list, I have a top ten list of horror movies. And of that top ten list of horror movies, very few of them have been spoken about as an in This is the, the hallowed ground saved specifically for movies that change my outlook on cinema. And I think The Shining has to be there because almost every decade that I've watched this movie... From watching it originally in 1990, the decades I have watched this movie in have changed the way I not only perceive cinema. Um, whether it's through technique over time, I start to realise that I'm, you know, able to sit and appreciate uh, steadicam shots, which we now refer to as Kubrickian horror shots, um, or this idea of isolation paranoia, the the way, I mean it's weird when I think about my two top horror movies essentially being about people trapped isolated in the snow and the effects that it has on them the extreme paranoia and cabin fever that builds up, I think that speaks more to me than anything else but yeah, my my appreciation for how cinema's made my appreciation for powerhouse performances are changed as well but I also realise that The Shining might be on one level, maybe the best ghost story ever committed to film. But even if we don't wholly count it as a ghost story, which I can imagine you might not want to, it's maybe one of the single best examinations of the breakdown of of a character. Even if you want to swing at it from the point of view that Jack Torrance is already kind of mentally unstable when we meet him, that's fine but that that thin membrane that was holding him together not only snaps, but snaps in such a way that what comes forth is something so much more vicious and so much more violent than you could have predicted from his unsteady start at the beginning. Anyone that tells you that, oh, you know that Jack Torrance is a madman right from the start. If you're telling me that within the first five minutes of seeing this guy, you imagine a scenario, having never watched this movie, that he will be hobbled carry an grunting and inhaling in pain whilst trapped in a maze in the snow, then I'm gonna call you a fucking liar. There's no way you know that. The extent of the psychosis that'll come he will die to get his family and murder them. That is how far he's gone. That whilst there might be a slight glimmer of something bubbling under the surface at the start of the movie, the end of this movie is not, you know, it's not in the scope, it's not in the sights that shouldn't even be in your mind at all. It is a, a, it's a, such a fucking expert example of the breakdown of of the human psyche uh, in a way which I think is just, like I said before, it's captivating to watch. I got the 4K, sat down and I watched it, and this movie has never looked any better. I mean, this movie looks incredible in 4K, and I'm not just saying this because I've got a 4K player, and you don't. Um, it, like If you buy one 4K this year, The Shining has to top your list, it's fucking incredible, absolutely incredible, looks stunning and I sat down and watched it last night and I was absorbed into the movie another time, I've seen this movie easily over 20 times, easily over 20 times for The Shining and it's an irreverence because every time I watch it, I feel like this is an event, this is something special, this is something that has importance, has weight, has gravitas, and I give it my undivided attention. I don't lift my phone, my phone goes away. I try not to speak to people. I sit in a darkened room and I take in The Shining in all of its glory and I marvel at what is a horror movie from a director who didn't do horror movies uh, based on a novel by an author who has went on to do so much in the horror genre, it's incredible. He is basically the prolific horror writer of not only our time, but I imagine will be for, for several generations on, we will always refer back to King, and the amount of incarnations and adaptations that we have had of his work, I think the pinnacle is The Shining. I think it's the best we're ever going to get. And a lot of that is because Kubrick makes it his own. He changes what he doesn't like. He makes it abstract. He makes it a bit difficult. And you can argue that it's not Stephen King's The Shining. I would counter by saying I have seen Stephen King's The Shining. I've seen the miniseries. And whilst it does put in all that stuff from the book that people want to see. I just don't find it interesting and I just don't find it scary. Scary is Kubrick's The Shining. From start to finish is an exercise in terror from a man who... I don't think understood what horror was. I genuinely don't think Kubrick understood what it was to make a horror movie. And in his lack of knowledge his lack of expertise of the genre itself delivered something so cold and so calculating that it elevates it to one of the greatest if not the greatest horror movie ever fucking made it is an absolute tour de force of horror cinema and yeah I mean it is my reverence. I wish I could give it more than 5 stars because it's worth Everything that it gets above um, and get that 4K man, that 4K is jaw droppingly good, absolutely incredible. It's a movie that has shaped my love of horror cinema, it's a movie that will always be one of the. If I had a Mount Rushmore of important movies uh, that had an impact on my life, Jack Taunce's face. Would be smashed through a rock saying, Here's Johnny. That's how important it is. I mean, we are, what, a couple of weeks away from Dr. Sleep coming out. I'm currently working through the audiobook and enjoying it immensely. Uh, my thoughts and feelings on the movie have been alleviated. I was excited because Mike Flanagan loved Mike Flanagan, but I was always concerned if you're doing a sequel to The Shining in the Cinema, how much are you going to acknowledge that Kubrick right work? And it looks like they have are doing more than just paying lip service, it looks like they're paying proper homage and respect to it. Time will tell when it drops and I'm very much looking forward to um, it. If it's one quarter as good as The Shining then we are spoiled, ladies and gents. We are absolutely 100% spoiled. What a film. So this is probably the last In Reverence that we're going to be doing in 2019. It's a segment which has been slightly inconsistent this year just because of the sheer volume of other subsets that I've done. I think the one we did before this uh, was kind of an In Reverence style review without being In Reverence. It was under the skin back in our anniversary episode. But before that was way back in March when we did Tenebrae. So it's been a while. It has been a while. Um, but I'm going to try and bring them back at least once every two months so you get uh, hopefully six in 2020 because there's so much more to talk about so many more directions so many more things we can do with In Reverence but I just wanted to come back and do one of them for October a little Halloween kind of styled one like we did last year where we gushed Over uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, and spend a bit of time talking about the majesty that is Kubrick's *The Shining*. Incredible fucking movie, man! Absolutely incredible. I actually almost want to watch it again, even though I watched it last night. Uh, But yeah, what what a fucking movie! What movie? Right, I'm going to take my final break of this episode. When I come back, I'm closing out the show, and I'm doing it right after this. You're listening to The Podcast Under The Stairs. And you've been listening to The Podcast Under The Stairs. Ladies and gents, this has been In Reverence episode number 15. This has been a little look at Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980 and its importance and my love of horror cinema. As a lot of sure the ways to Check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say, come across and check us out on Apple podcast. Subscribe to the feed and leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to support us on that platform. And also check us out at Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn and Spotify. You can visit our website. It's And if you want to buy merch, like posters and pins, that money coming back to support what we do, you go to tputscast.bigcartel.com. Visit our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast if you want to interact with other listeners uh, and chat about this show and horror movies in general. Failing that, if you only want to know when the shows are dropping, occasionally check out a live stream like Thursday. Thursday Thursday, you can do that by going to just our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash cast You can interact with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter, both can be followed at tputtscast. Join us on the Flick Chat app It's social media for podcasts and listeners alike Not only can you listen to the shows Directly through the app But you can interact with us in a series of message boards Dedicated to different themes I'll be putting up a brand new one To discuss not only The Shining but what we might be doing Next year with In Reverence So come across, interact with us there Because the conversations stopped when I hit stop on this podcast But they continue in force over on the Flick Chat app You can join it by creating yourself a little account Downloading Flick Chat from iOS Or Android free And uh, the join code for our page is TPutsCast It could be any easier The podcast Under the Stairs will return to you Ladies and gents um, Either on Sunday when we look at The Giver As part of our Arrow Assortment Or maybe earlier, maybe Saturday I've got some ideas that I want to Maybe start to fire through A couple of these movies that are not My 31 with some reviews. I also have something very special planned for next weekend, so get yourself ready for that. And if all that wasn't enough, uh, you will be getting a double bill of Russian Roulette franchise retrospective within the next two weeks, and another two episodes, the final two episodes of Bazoween. 2019. But until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and what if you're upset in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. Let's call it quick